I'm Laura Farrar. This is Capital and Scott. Early voting has begun and Election Day, November 8th, is now less than a week away in Arkansas. There are four issues on ballots this year, and if you're like me, and hopefully you're not, I'm not always up to speed on what those issues are when I go to cast my vote. Here today to give us the rundown of the issues voters will encounter is Kristen Higgins, who is with the Public Policy Center at the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture. She's helping with voter education on a range of topics, including the issues appearing on this year's ballot. So Kristen, welcome to the show. Voters who are early voting and are going to be going to the polls next Tuesday, November 8th, are going to see or are already seeing these Arkansas ballot issues. There were four of them this year. We were just talking before the show whether there's one that's more important than the other, and you're saying that no, they're all equally important. So what's just going on generally with the ballot issues, and what are you hearing from voters in terms of what they want to know? I'm I'm hearing, even at this late point, a lot of confusion about what some of the issues will do. If you look at social media, you see people, you know, arguing back and forth, well, it'll do this. No, it won't. It'll do this. No, it won't. It'll do this. And uh, thankfully, a handful of them have pointed people toward our voter guide that we've got on all of the constitutional amendments out there. And uh, yeah, so there's, there's still... To this date, some confusion um, on a couple of the issues, uh, people disagreeing about what some of the issues will do, and a lot of people saying, well, you know, doesn't matter, I already voted. Sure. And maybe some years with the issues on the ballot, maybe some, I, I don't want to say are more important than others, but you're saying this year, all four, which we're about to go over, have significance in the state, and really people need to kind of think about voting on them and what they mean. Right. Do your homework, check into these issues, because I think when you compare the constitutional amendments to candidates on the ballot, the constitutional amendments go into effect almost immediately. So you see immediate impact from them, whereas maybe with a candidate, it might be a couple months to a couple years before you see that impact. And with constitutional amendments, um, any given day, if you're looking at the newspaper or social media or radio, a lot of stories can tie themselves back to constitutional amendments that Arkansans have passed in previous years. So these aren't just like a one and done, oh, you know, it's not going to affect us a couple years down the road. And yeah, uh, I would say not one is more important than the other because uh, the, these four that are before us this year have the potential to impact daily lives. And you need to, you know, think about, okay, well, what what will come from this? And um, that's actually part of the reason why our voter guide or, or even our voter education program exists is historically you see people paying attention to the most popular topic or the most controversial topic, and then you see nothing about the other issues. And so people feel like, you know, they have to get out there and really try to figure this out. Or if if you're like me on election day, you show up and you see people looking at the sample ballot taped to the wall going, well, okay, so what are these? Quick, someone give me an idea of what I'm voting on. And we don't want that to happen. We want people to take the time to, to look at the ballot titles uh, which give them an idea of what they're voting on, but even the ballot titles themselves are a summary. There's a lot more to them in the actual bills that are, are behind them. 
And we just want people to be comfortable, have the time to look at the titles, read it over, and have time to ask questions. Sure. So there are four, as we've been saying, just to run through them quickly. One is giving lawmakers the authority to call special legislative sessions. Number two is requiring 60% voter approval for constitutional amendments and citizen proposed state laws. Number three, issue number three is Arkansas Religious Freedom Amendment. And issue number four is the Arkansas Adult Use Cannabis Amendment. So let's start with number one, Uh, just kind of giving the highlights, what you think people need to know about issue number one and how uh, it might impact people. Sure. So issue one is one of three constitutional amendments on the ballot that was referred by the legislature. So the General Assembly, our state senators and representatives have the ability to refer three proposals to voters on the ballot. And so issue one would give the state legislature the ability to call themselves into special session and to set the agenda for those special sessions. And there's two different routes authorized under issue one. One way is for the leadership of the legislature, so the president of the Senate and the Speaker of the House to decide, we need to have a special session, let's set the agenda for this. And then the other route is two thirds of the state legislature saying, we need to come together and meet and we'll have that agenda set. Right now, Arkansas is one of 15 states where it's the governor who has the ability or the sole authority to call a special session and to set that agenda. And when we talk about a special session, the term you see usually is extraordinary session. That just means it's not a planned regular session because our legislature meets every year to talk about state laws, the budget, So it varies. So this is extraordinary. And that's what we mean by special. A special session is usually shorter, uh, maybe a couple of days to a week or two. Uh, And uh, right now, the governor has that ability to set the agenda and say, we're going to focus on this topic. There is the ability right now for the legislature to say, "Okay, we've addressed your issues and we want to add something to it. So they need two thirds of a vote to add to that agenda. It's not used very often. And so this issue would do pretty much the same thing, but give the legislature the ability to do that. And so supporters are saying, you know, the governor might not listen to us. We want to be able to call ourselves into session and address something in a timely manner. And opponents are saying, well, uh, if you can't convince the governor, then it must not be that important to have a special session. Are people concerned at all about sort of checks and balances? Does it seem to, if it were passed, would it kind of disrupt the way in which, you know, the governor's office has uh, keeps uh, the legislature in check and vice versa? Does it have any impact on that? It does. So, you know, the, the supporters of this say they want to be equal to the governor, that they think that they're unequal right now. However, the governor of Arkansas has a weak veto authority right now. And opponents to this say by giving the legislature the ability to call themselves into special session at any time, they could pass whatever they would like. And the governor has really no true veto authority because it's so easy to overturn the governor's veto. And so they say, or the opponents say, that this would actually put them out of balance, that the governor having the sole authority right now kind of provides that check and balance. 
Is there any way in which just your everyday Arkansan would be impacted by this? Or why would, why should someone sort of care about this and how it impacts their lives? Well, there's a, a couple different reasons. Well, one, uh, it's taxpayer money that pays for extra sessions. So you pay for per diem for the legislature. You pay, you know, a certain amount every day that they're that they're meeting. So there's that cost factor, which is not a whole lot right now, considering how long they're in session ordinarily. Uh, and then the ability for your legislature to essentially have the authority to meet at any time. So right now, the regular sessions usually end by March, April, and then you have a whole nother year or six months to go by. So this has the ability for the legislature to get together at any time and pass laws at any time, uh, whatever's on their agenda. So you have to watch, I guess, the legislature more. So whether you're an ordinary citizen who feels like you don't already have the ability to connect with your legislature, you're going to have to do that more often. If you're in a position where you're a lobbyist or you are with a nonprofit, you have to plan more time to interact with the legislature. If, you know, we would see if this goes into effect, how often they would call a special session. We don't know that right now, how often they would use it if they were given that authority. Right. So moving on to issue number two, requiring 60% of voter approval for constitutional amendments and citizen proposed state laws. This one sounds a little confusing to me. Can you break it down? Yeah. Uh, Arkansas is one of 15 states where the citizens have the ability to refer a constitutional amendment to voters, as well as a state law or a referendum, like a veto on something that was passed in the most recent legislative session. And that's in addition to the legislature having the ability to refer three constitutional amendments. And with this process, we do see a lot of uh, issues on the ballot that come from the legislature and the citizen process. And what this would do is it would say anything on the ballot would have to pass by at least 60% for it to go into effect. So you can only amend the state constitution with 60% voter approval. You could only pass a state initiated or a citizen initiated state law with 60% voter approval. Is it currently lower than that right now or higher than that? Like what does this change exactly? So right now, uh, just like anything else on the ballot, whether it's a candidate or a state law or constitutional amendment, if something receives more for votes than against votes, it goes into effect. We call that simple majority. So 50% of the vote plus one. And so this would increase it from that 50% to 60%. So that, that increase the threshold for constitutional amendments and state laws from the citizen process. And, and I bring up the citizen process because opponents to this have said, well, the legislature would still be passing laws with 50% simple majority, whereas the citizen initiative process, it would be 60%. But supporters say it's too easy to change the state constitution, that uh, there should be a higher threshold. They point to the U.S. Constitution, which you know we have 27 amendments, and it requires a higher threshold to ratify a, a U.S. amendment. But supporters say, well, you'll have the legislature and citizens on unequal footing with this proposal. 
even though it would still be a simple majority in the legislature of 50%, am I understanding that correctly, and then 60% for the citizen? Correct, right, yes. And so there are some bills in the legislature that require a higher threshold dealing with finances. But when we talk about the basic state law, it's that simple majority in the House and Senate. Okay. And could you give like a real world example of what would, what would be a citizen proposed state law? Do you know of anything off the top of your The head? Minimum Wage Act. Uh, the minimum wage that uh, Arkansans approved two times was a state law. It was not a constitutional amendment. So it was on the ballot. There's a lower threshold for the number of voter signatures that you need to collect. And so just kind of going back uh, to the basics. Uh, so in Arkansas, you can't just say, oh, I want to put this on the ballot. You have to go out and you have to collect voter signatures. So 8% of the number of people who voted for governor in the last election for a state law, or 10% of the number of people who voted for governor for constitutional amendments. So this time around, we have one citizen-initiated amendment on the ballot. That means they collected at least 89,000 signatures from across the state. So why should people care about this one? Uh, every, you know, people here in the state. I mean, it seems like making it harder to pass would be both a good and a bad thing, potentially. Yeah, yeah, it could be a good and a bad thing, depending on your viewpoint. And uh, just when you think about Arkansas and our state constitution goes back to 1874, this is the only way to amend that document. Uh, There have been proposals over the years of Uh, We need a new constitution. Let's just scrap the old one, have a a citizen constitutional get together where we come up with a new one. And those have been rejected. So we're dealing with a document from 1874. And the process is to put something on the ballot for voters to decide. And supporters say that uh, it's too easy to put something on the ballot if you are an out-of-state interest with a lot of money. You can come in, you can convince voters short-term for a long-term impact that they don't necessarily know what they're voting on and approving. And then you have opponents who say this, I mean, that the state motto is the people rule and that this is an important process to protect. Regardless if you support an issue or not, you have that ability at the voting booth to make a decision. Whereas that this would affect decision-making going forward Uh, that it would be minority rule. So you would only need 40% of opponents to defeat something instead of a majority of opponents to defeat something. And our voter guide does include examples since 2000 till now of state laws and amendments that would have failed uh, had this been in place. Got it. So 50% to 60% that would have would have dropped off. And some examples more recently were the uh, casino amendments, the sales tax for roads uh, that came from the state legislature put out there before the voters. Uh, The majority of the issues since 2000 that would have failed under this were referred by the legislature and include the ability for cities and counties to use short-term financing to pay for capital items like police, fire vehicles that would have done away with the ethics amendment that was approved a couple years ago. Um, So voters approved uh, some you know term limits for legislators all of those would have failed under this proposal got it that's really interesting so really if you were to sort of flip it instead of saying 60 percent majority you could say the opponents um, it actually would take less opposition 
to not pass some type of law or whatnot. Right, so actually, right. you, would, you would only need 40% of the people to say no for it not to pass. So I think if you look at it, flipping the percentages, it actually kind of turns it into something a little bit different, perhaps. Right. And like I said, it really just depends on your viewpoint about the, the specific issue on the ballot. And so looking at issue two, again, this isn't about what's on the ballot. It's about the process and your decision today could affect future decisions. And that is something with all of the ballot issues is looking at the title, uh, what does it do? What is the short-term impact, the long-term impact, and then making a decision based on that information. And that's, again, what we're trying to, to help people understand, not just you know who's for it, who's against it, but provide some additional context. When was the last time someone voted on something like this? Uh, what do other states do? Uh, what's unique about this issue? Sure, and again, your voter guide uh, on the the ballot issues will include a link to that with the podcast. It goes far more in depth about short and long-term impacts um, because I would imagine a lot of people don't really fully understand or think that way or it's just hard to figure that out, you know, when you're busy with work and right. whatnot. Oh, exactly. So the, the constitutional amendments require you to work a little harder because they're not necessarily always affiliated with a political party. So you can't just go, oh, okay, this is Republican or this is Democrat, so I'm gonna vote this way. These issues have apolitical impacts on people's lives. Right, and just before we move on to the next one, the proponents of this 60% voter approval for constitutional amendments and citizen proposed state laws, issue number two, the idea is that they feel like you said there are special interests who are sort of influencing Arkansans and bringing changes to the state that maybe are not beneficial long term. Like why why make it a little bit harder to to pass things? I guess is what I'm getting at. Well, we've seen in the past couple of years proposals from the legislature affecting the citizen initiative process or the ballot issue process itself. So a couple of years ago, they referred an amendment that was approved that required ballot issue groups to have at least 75% of the required number of signatures from voters before they qualify for additional time to collect more signatures. The citizen initiative process is difficult and long and there's a lot of hoops to to jump through. And so we have seen over the past couple years more uh, requirements or stronger requirements or different proposals to change the process because they're concerned that it's too easy for a group to come in and pay for canvassers to get voters to sign and put something on the ballot. Personally, I don't necessarily know why they're concerned because this process has been in place for over 100 years. Uh, It was actually put into place in like 1908, 1910, and really started taking off in the 1920s. And the the majority of proposals uh, that have been approved have been from the legislature. You know, I hear what they're saying, that it's, they're, they're concerned that there are organizations coming in with not sharing Arkansas values and spending money to convince voters. But then at the same time, voters have been doing this for over 100 years. Interesting. So issue three, Arkansas Religious Freedom Amendment. This one I think is also also a little bit confusing because when you think about religious freedom, we live in the United States. This country was founded on the freedom to practice religion. What makes this 
different than what we already have established uh, here in Arkansas and even nationally. You're right. We do have, you know, U.S. Constitution. We have a state constitution and we have a state law that was passed in 2015 that contains a lot of the similar wording. And when this issue was going through the legislature, because again, you know, issue one, issue two, issue three is from the legislature. When it was going through their process, their committee process, there were people asking, well, what does this do? How is this different? And you had some lawmakers say, this doesn't, it doesn't look like this does anything, like it's uh, showboating or political. And then you had the supporters saying, well, this is a constitutional amendment. And so for the supporters, that's the biggest difference for them, that this would put into the state constitution broader protections for religious freedom because the wording of this ballot title says that the government may not burden people's practice of religion currently state law says substantially burden and so the switch from substantially burden to burden indicates that there's a broader protection Uh, it does not define burden it doesn't define like it doesn't provide examples and that's usually when i've been out presenting on these issues people are asking me well can you give me an example i'm not able to give you an example mostly because a lot of this is fleshed out through lawsuits and court precedent we don't have that so i can't give you an example but i can tell you that alabama is the only state in the united states that has a constitutional amendment and that our legislature modeled this after theirs. And in Alabama, where it does say burden, they have not had lawsuits filed. There hasn't been case law really fleshed out. So I can't say, oh, this is how it's happening in Alabama. So when I talk to people about this issue, I'll say, you know, it'll put this wording in the constitution that the sponsors were concerned, especially, uh, you know, when we saw uh, in 2020 that there were limits placed on uh, how many people could gather because of COVID, public health emergency, and that, you know, in turn affected churches. And if you think back to that time, one of the first outbreaks took place in a church. So they were responding to that, wanting to, to limit Uh, how many people could gather at one time. And there was, you know, some pushback from that, that eventually uh, went away. Uh, They say this would stop an overzealous governor in the future, or this could uh, prohibit, because this talks about government and it does define government. It defines government as not just state agencies or state lawmakers, but also counties and cities, ordinances, uh, resolutions, committees. So it could affect any entity that was created by state law, uh, universities, other things. And so they keep pointing to that outcome in 2020. But opponents are saying this doesn't really tell us the impact. We don't know what this would do. There's no resolution for potential conflicts. So for example, if one religion was perhaps doing something that was burdening another religion, like how would you resolve those conflicts in state law? That said, there are actually people who are reading this in a different way. There are people um, that I've met out doing presentations who read this as giving government the ability to burden you in your religion, because uh, I I think that they are not aware of the existing state law that was voted on uh, by the legislature in 2015 that does something very similar. It talks about you cannot uh, burden or substantially burden religion 
unless there's a compelling reason to do so. And so they're focusing on that compelling reason. And they're saying, if we put this in the state constitution, this is going to allow the government to burden us. And they, they're, I guess maybe they're not aware that there's already that state law. So there's already two different ways people are interpreting this issue. Sure, that's really interesting. I mean, because we've seen cases nationally where, you know, there's, and I'm not going to recall the history of this because I don't know it off the top of my head, but, you know, businesses not wanting to, I think there was a case, make a birthday cake for a gay couple, right, because of their religious beliefs. So I would imagine like some of the concern could be uh, discrimination could, could come into play with people's private companies, religious belief, or right, any other sort of organization or whatnot, if um, they were allowed to not serve certain clientele or do whatever for, you know, whatever reason that the discrimination could come into play and that separation of church and state potentially could be an issue um, as well with this sort of more broad. Right. Broadly, broadly nationwide, that's been the concern, uh, I think, with a lot of the state laws that are in place like this in, in, in Arkansas in 2015, when the legislature initially started creating this religious freedom law that's on the books they originally passed one that did define person to include uh, you know entities and so not just human beings but associations but there was a lot of pushback to that one so they pulled it back before the governor could sign it and pass the one that's there now sure was there any reason why i mean i know you can't read the minds of the people who sponsored this amendment but a sense of like why they would want to expand it even did something happen here did they feel like something was uh, going on like why what what was the logic behind this do you have any idea when i talked to the sponsors of this proposal they just reiterated that they thought putting it in the constitution gave religion broader protection putting it specifically in the constitution so no i can't speak for you know what they were thinking about, but I can say that this amendment, um, unlike other amendments, has not necessarily been proposed before in this wording. So we don't, I can't say, oh, and, you know, in 2018 they proposed this, in 2016, like there's not necessarily a history of this specific proposal, like there has been others. This nationally goes back to the 90s in 1993, there was a congressional law that was passed And then there was a lawsuit and the Supreme Court of the United States said that the national law did not apply to states and local government. And since that 1990s lawsuit, we have seen, you know, at least 19, 20, 21 other states pass state level laws. So there's nationally been this push to have state laws. And so we do have that state law. So why what's happened in the sponsor's opinion I can't say, but I do know that when they were talking about it, they said courts can change over time. State lawmakers can change over time because it's a state law. It could be changed by any future legislature and putting it in the Constitution makes it harder to change. We'll be right back with more Capital and Scott. Hi, this is Laura Farrar. The stories we dive into on Capitol and Scott are just a fraction of the reporting the Democrat Gazette brings to readers every day. If you'd like to support our commitment to bringing you the latest in Arkansas news, sports, and entertainment, consider subscribing to the Democrat Gazette. With your subscription, you'll get a digital edition of the newspaper every morning, along with the latest news and updates delivered to you on an iPad provided at no extra cost. 
For just $34 a month, you'll get the same award-winning journalism you've come to expect from the Democrat Gazette, plus exclusive photo galleries, videos, articles, and digital extras like this podcast, all in the palm of your hand. To sign up today, call 1-800-482-1121 or visit us online at arkansasonline.com forward slash subscribe. Welcome back to Capital and Scott. Finally, issue number four, which I would say people might be the most familiar with only because there's just been a lot of publicity about it, advertising. Um, it seems like there's been a lot of money spent on this one, which is basically legalizing the use of marijuana for the public in Arkansas. So right now, you know, people have to have medical marijuana cards. Not anyone can just go get pot. It, it's, maybe it's not as simple as that, but uh, what is this uh, issue involving involving the use of cannabis or marijuana and why does it matter? So this is a, a more complex issue. And again, I just want to point out that it's uh, more complex because it's from the citizen initiative process that the state legislature, that the, the laws that they refer, the constitutional amendments that they refer are not usually very long because they're already presumed to be constitutional. But for the citizen initiative process, you have to spell out almost all the changes that you're going to have. And so that's why this is a very long ballot title. It's the longest one you'll see at the end of the ballot when you go vote. So this issue actually amends the existing medical marijuana amendment and creates a new constitutional amendment. And cumulatively, it would legalize possession of one ounce of marijuana by uh, adults 21 and older without fear of arrest. So you could have one ounce in your possession and not be arrested for this as long as you're 21 and older. It would also allow or create the licensing process for businesses to grow and sell marijuana for non-medical purposes. You mentioned we already have the medical marijuana program in Arkansas. There are eight licenses to grow marijuana for medical sales. Those eight entities would automatically receive licenses to sell their crops for recreational use. Uh, Then there would be 12 additional licenses for what I kind of call, I I, I have been telling people, it's kind of like a craft brewery. So a smaller facility, or they have a limit of 250 plants that they could grow at one time. So there'd be 12 businesses that would be licensed to sell recreational only. So we would still maintain that medical program and those eight entities could still grow and sell for medical, but we would end up creating a legal recreational marijuana program in the state. It would also allow 80 additional dispensaries to open in the state. So the 40 that are currently authorized under medical marijuana, they would automatically be able to sell recreational as well. And then the owners of those facilities could open a second location. And then you would have 40 additional licenses that would be awarded through the lottery process. So it'd be handled differently than what we saw with the medical marijuana program. So that was that's a, one of the big changes is it creates establishments that you could sell recreational marijuana. It doesn't expand where you can sell medical. 
It also deals with the taxes. It affects the taxes that are in place. It would eliminate the medical marijuana sales tax that the dispensaries pay right now because when they buy marijuana from a cultivator, they pay a sales tax. And then when the consumer goes and buys from the dispensary, they pay a sales tax. So it would eliminate all sales taxes on medical marijuana sales. And in its place, it would create a sales tax for recreational but you would only be paying that at the consumer level. So when the dispensary buys it from a cultivator, it doesn't pay sales tax under this issue. And this is usually where I start to see people's eyes glaze over because they're like more interested in, oh, okay, so it's gonna allow recreational marijuana. And I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah, it would do that, but it's also all these other things as well. And that, again, is where people start to just, uh, right now, when you see social media, they start to argue about what it'll do, what it won't do. Um, they're going beyond just the recreational and getting into the rest of the details, which for me as a policy nerd is great. I love to see people discussing this. But yeah, so it would create a new sales tax. Uh, it would allow cities and counties to charge their actual local sales tax. It would allow the state to charge their sales tax. And then it would require the state to charge a supplemental sales tax. And that is where we're also seeing a lot of the discussion happen. Well, what will happen with that supplemental tax dollars? The majority of it will go to the general fund that the state budgets with. Some of it will go to uh, law enforcement officers or for stipends to be given to full-time law enforcement officers. One of the opponents the other day, I was talking to them and they mentioned it would be about maybe a thousand to $1,500 a year in, in, in a stipend based on the current number of full-time law enforcement officers. A certain number would go to UAMS, the state hospital, and then a certain amount set aside for drug courts. So all of that, in addition, it would eliminate THC levels that are currently in state law for medical marijuana edibles, and it would allow the Division of Alcohol Beverage Control to have more say over packaging and advertising requirements. That's a lot. Yeah, it is. and all of that in about, you know, 900 words on your on your ballot in all caps. Sure. So, right now there are eight entities that have licenses for the medical marijuana um, business here. Is that correct? Eight cultivators. Eight, yes. cultivators. Eight businesses that can legally grow marijuana in the state. And do they, they also own the dispensaries as well or those are separate? No, okay. those are separate. So the current law, the medical marijuana law, allows people to have interest in one dispensary. And so those are all owned by, you know, individuals or individual businesses that might have other people involved. Uh, you know, a business could have five or six investors. Uh, so what issue four would do in terms of that, it would remove background check requirements for people who own less than 5% interest in a dispensary. So going forward, uh, you could have interest in a business interest in up to 18 dispensaries at one time. That's what I was wondering. Does it monopolize who's involved with this industry already, or does it allow for new players to come in and open up new businesses and get licenses? Because I think, you know, there's a lot of money involved in this industry in the state. It's a bit op- a lot. It's a bit opaque, uh, frankly, but um, does this does this kind of cement a monopoly for the existing players at all, or do we know? I don't think that we know it would, but that is the number one charge of some of the opponents that that they see this as giving a, or creating a monopoly. That the 
the people who are already involved would automatically receive those licenses to do business under this law. So kind of create a, a monopoly. However, nationally, we have seen that trend happening already that you know just how you hear people talk about big pharma or big, <laughs> big marijuana uh, so the people who have the money and the business wherewithal are the ones who are getting involved in these businesses already and so i think that they're expecting that to happen in arkansas as well and so there are numerous opponents to issue four for different reasons we have, you know, the main supporters who want to make this legal. Uh, they want those businesses to to profit and to to establish this. They say surrounding states are doing this. There's an election in Missouri next week on this issue. Election in North Dakota, South Dakota. Election in Maryland. There was supposed to be an election in Oklahoma. They're saying it's coming. Let's keep this tax dollars here. Opponents for their various reasons. One is the monopoly issue. Another is they don't think it goes far enough, that it doesn't permit people to grow at home, that it doesn't expunge past criminal records for possession of marijuana. Uh, They think that there could be a better way to do this. And then you have opponents who just don't want to expand drug use. Uh, They say marijuana is a gateway drug. It causes problems. It causes real problems in people's lives. Even if you don't get to another drug, marijuana itself can be an issue. And then you have people who say that this would affect drug dogs in the state, that it would render drug dogs useless because they're trained to sniff out marijuana. And so if you're going to stop someone for marijuana, did that just already throw off your drug case? You know, because you're maybe looking for meth or whatever, but the drug is the dog is indicating for marijuana. So there's that conversation. So there's a whole bunch of different reasons why people are opposed to this. And this issue, uh, just talking to so many people, you know, early polls indicated high support for recreational marijuana in Arkansas. But then the more recent polls are showing that declining. And just talking to people, they're, they have their mind made up on marijuana either they want marijuana or they don't want marijuana but then they go but it's the details like either this is great or there can be a better way we don't have to settle so that conversation is really interesting about this because it seems everyone already knows one way or another whether they want marijuana but it's all the other details that are that are pulling this one into the conversation sure um and just quickly is it clear that uh, the additional tax benefits the state would potentially receive are kind of hammered out. I've gotten the impression there might be some kind of a lack of clarity that some of the opponents of this might be bringing up. I don't know if that's true or not, just in terms of the real tax benefits. Well, the the supporters had a study done by, you know, a reputable group at the University of Arkansas at Little Rock who exists specifically to do studies on on impact and financial estimates. And, and they did provide an estimate. Um, that's a lot of money. And then you had people say, well, maybe not that much. Maybe it'd be more lower amount. But I think that the medical marijuana program showed us that, you know, we that everyone kind of estimated a lower amount for medical marijuana and it came in a whole lot higher than people expected. So I think that we have a dollar range and based on other states, over time it could change, you know, if there are other states that have uh, programs, you know, just like anything else. This is not new money. 
this is redistribution or reallocation of money that's being spent. And you might have people come here from other states. So I wouldn't say that the dollar figures are hazy. It's just, uh, it kind of remains to see what would happen once this is legal, maybe in more places. Did anything change with the cultivation? Does it have to be grown in Arkansas or can it come from out of state? I don't know if anything's changed with that. It has to be grown in Arkansas. So there are, again, deep in those weeds, (laughs) there were specific mentions that any marijuana sold at dispensaries had to come from businesses that were licensed under state law. So it would have to be Arkansas businesses. But then someone said, well, could you be an Arkansas business and bring it in from a different state? I don't know. I don't know. Right. I, I, you know, I can't predict the whole, <laughs> the whole future of how this would happen. Uh, the one thing that is different as far as the licensing goes um, is that the, it would be done lottery this time, whereas before it was done through application. And I think a lot of people are aware of the mess that that was. Sure. Well, we will not get into that mess today, Um, but these are all super interesting. Thank you so much for really explaining them. I encourage everyone to find your voter guide. We will have a link to it with the podcast. It is the Arkansas Ballot Issues 2022 Voter Guide from the University. This is going to be a long title. University of Arkansas's Division of Agriculture, Research and Extension. A lot of explanation, but this is so interesting. Thank you for taking the time to explain this. You're welcome. Thank you for being an interested voter. Yeah. So get out and vote and we will see what happens. Thanks again. We'll be back next Wednesday with an election recap. As always, thanks for listening and be sure to get out and vote.